Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Did you miss me as much as I missed you? Oh, that's so sweet. Really? Oh, I, I thought about you a lot, too, actually, every day. Every day during this five-week hiatus, uh, I was thinking about you all a lot. And I'm back today with a great guest. Her name is Gail Gibbons Madera, and she is a very intelligent, wise person here in the New York City Tango community. She helps run in Sueño Milonga on Monday nights with her partner, Tioma Maloraski. And uh, since before I started this Tango podcast project, or not before, but when I was getting it going, she was somebody I had high on my list to have on the show because she le leads and has led a very interesting life. And um, I just knew it would be a great, uh, great chat, which it was, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with everybody. And if you are interested in a modern dance career, you might want to check out her story because she talks a lot about all the subtle nuances of what it takes to to kind of get in and uh, lead a life in that on that journey. Um, and it's more than just being a good dancer, as she'll state in her interview. It has to do a lot more with the details of interacting with people. And uh, hey, what do you know? Being a decent human being and getting along with other people in spite of our differences. Huh. Who'd have thunk it? Um, so that's a really fun chat we're going to get into. These interviews tend to start off, you know, we're feeling our way out. Two people, we don't normally speak. I'm not just talking about Gail, but pretty much everybody I've had on the show. It's not somebody I generally sit around and chat with a lot. So, and I think maybe they come on, they're not sure what, what's going to happen. Or maybe I'm going to, maybe there's a bus approaching that I'm going to throw them under. No, that's not what's going to happen. And then, the, you know, things get going and I think they start to they start to roll. So where has this guy been, this Adam Hoopengardner guy, your host? Well, I happened to be in Thailand for the end of June, for two weeks at the end of June, visiting an old friend. And as much as I've traveled, I've never been to a place like Thailand. I recommend it very much. It is quite an adventure. If there's any place that I would equate with uh, what I might think what the old wild west would be like it is thailand um but i've yet to be to quite a few other places in the world so we'll see and you know when i get back from those journeys how i how i feel but as of now thailand is the wild west um it was my favorite part was getting to ride the scooters around every day um paying off law enforcement for not having a driver's license they were very happy to take my bot and Luckily, that only happened once, um, but it was a little little nerve-wracking. You know, you're driving down the street at night, a police officer jumps out in front of your motorbike and pulls you over and then asks you for a driver's license, and you're in a foreign country, and you don't know what might happen, although I was told that if it happened, you know, be prepared to pay them off, but you never know. I didn't know. Maybe they would throw me in some Thai prison, and I would disappear, and you would no longer get to, you wouldn't hear this show today with Gail Gibbons Madera, and that would be a big loss for you, and for me. So, what did I do today? Um, I woke up, I did my laundry, I got a haircut. Why would I do that today? Because I'm getting ready for something amazing, something spectacular, something completely and totally unique, and that is the 8th Cleveland Tango Bowling Marathon, which is happening this coming weekend 
in a little town called Lakewood, which is just outside of Cleveland. We are literally, the event is happening, I think, literally eight blocks east of Cleveland proper. It's in the town I grew up in. Um, it's a cute little town, and the bowling alley is amazing. It's very interesting. It's very uh, unique and retro, and it's owned by some people that I, I got to know quite a few years ago, so I'm happy to be there and support their business and support their 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 creation. And I'll have you know, because I get a lot of emails and Facebook messages every year, you don't need to know how to bowl to go. Um, we do bowl. I bowl once a year, and that is in the Cleveland Tango Bowling Marathon. It's more for uh, an icebreaker. It's more for giving you something to do when you're in between tandas and you just want to take a little walk. I know when I go to marathons, typically I feel like I'm stuck in this room and I'm either sitting there or I'm dancing. And I thought, well, why not have this at a place where you have some other options? So we're doing it at a bowling alley. That's all I can say. Uh, well, I could say one more thing. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't be as great as it is as, as it has become without the partnership I've developed with Alberto and Michaela, who are locally based in Cleveland, uh, who teach there, who build a community there, and who do an amazing job. So that is coming up this weekend. I'm super stoked. I know there's at least 20 people coming from New York, uh, let alone we have San Francisco and, and all over the place, down in Florida, Gainesville, and who knows where else. So I'm I'm really excited. Anything else to talk about before we start the show? You're looking at my notes here. The scooter was the shit. I have that written down. Yes, the scooter was the shit. I'm actually going to get a scooter here in New York um, sooner or later. The heat wave has broken. Yes, the heat wave has broken. It was a hot heat wave. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a heat wave. But it is broken, at least for today. And uh, we're all relieved, I'm sure. I think I'm out of uh, anecdotes and things to fill you in on. If you like the show, please subscribe. There's Apple to iTunes. There's Spotify. There's Podbean. There's um, I don't know what else. Leave some reviews. Give me some feedback. If you like the show and you have some interesting stories and you want to be on the show, reach out. Let me know because that's what this show's about. It's about interesting stories and sharing them. Tango Uncorked. That's where the 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 title comes from. Uh, I'm gonna be. Coming out with shows for the next several weeks throughout the end of summer. Might take another little break going into fall. Uh, if you want to catch up, you can look back to the first 10 episodes, which I started in the spring. It's not necessarily a season-by-season thing, but maybe it's working itself out to be that way. Um, anyway, here we go with Gail Gibbons Madeira, episode number 11. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I'm here with Gail Gibbons Madeira, and uh, we're going to talk about everything from her favorite cereal to uh, her history in the New York Tango community. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I guess we'll start off by asking how long you've been dancing and what your... How long have you lived in New York? I'm Uh, curious. Since, well, I went to SUNY Purchase for dance to get a dance degree in 1988, graduated in 92. 
Oh, wow. And came here to the city, but I was just north of the city when I was at that school. So. And what dance did you do there? Um, their program is ballet and modern, um, more of a focus on modern, but they have a very strong ballet thing too, and they also focus on choreography very heavily. Hmm. So that, that was one reason I wanted to go there. And did you, um, after you graduated, or while you were there, you did some work with performing and... I'm guessing yeah. as a student, they have you do that to, to learn and, and all that stuff. And they have an in-house dance company, the Purchase Dance Corps, and we toured to Hong Kong and Amsterdam and Taiwan oh, and wow. performed in big festivals. Oh, sweet. Um, we also did a lot of touring around Westchester County and performing there and performing at Purchase. Hmm. And did you go on with that after you graduated? Did you continue to work in dance for a while? Yeah, it, that's all I did for the, you know like 12 years after that when I came to the city. Huh. Um, I worked a lot in a lot of different dance companies, modern and ballet, and I had my own dance company for three years and um, choreographed a lot of shows. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that was all before Tango. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was it challenging in the city to get going in that kind of business? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but I noticed a few things. I noticed people who worked as bartenders or waitresses never made it to 10 a.m. ballet class. <laughs> right. And that's where you meet everybody. You know, um, being in a, a dance company, especially in New York City, uh, you have to get to know all the people that are in the company because when they're choosing you, they're not just choosing a dancer, they're choosing a roommate. Mm. You're going to be touring with them under very difficult circumstances. They mm -hmm. have no money, so you'll take an overnight flight, get off the plane, go straight to the theater, rehearse and perform that night. So they need to know that you not only are a good dancer, because those are plentiful, but they need to know that you're stable emotionally and mm -hmm. that you um, you can handle that kind of rigor and that you won't fly off the handle and be mean to people. So, so you have to be somebody that is compatible and to work with a large group of people. That's right. right. So you have to um, meet these people every day in class. And so they see how you are day after, you know, what, what, do you, what do you like on a bad day? What is your bad day like? Right. So you have to be at 10 a.m. class every day. And I um, didn't, I didn't want to waitress or bartend because they have such late hours and afterwards they're kind of wired and they usually eat afterwards. They don't go to bed till four and you just can't do 10 a.m. class. So I found out they were hiring temps in the investment banks and you could work at night and you could sit down while working hmm. and they would give you dinner in a car home. And I was like, oh, that is sweet. I want that job. But I had no skills. So I went to the Salvation Army and I bought a bunch of business clothes because I had no money. <laughs> and I went to the temp agency and I said, I want this job. And they're like, can you type? And I said, no, but I want to practice. <laughs> and so they let me come in every day and I just treated it like dance. I went in first thing in the morning and I just typed like crazy, type, 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 type. And after the end of one week of being insanely cheerful, they were like, send her out of here to Goldman Sachs. Wow. <laughs> they sent me to Goldman Sachs. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> I didn't know what Goldman Sachs is. And um, so I, at the time, they didn't even have Windows programs. It was straight data entry. You had to put the code in to change the font. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. In 92, they were kind of like the last people to go over to Windows. Uh -huh. So at that time, they just needed an army of people who could type really fast. So I was part of that army. And it was a great job because it enabled me to go on tour and come back and have total flexibility. I worked at night and I danced during the day and I was in my 20s, so I could be like, you know, Sustain dance, that. Yeah, dance yeah, 10 yeah. to 6, work 6 to 2, but you'd get dinner in a car home and you were sitting. Yeah, um, and you were also at this position of learning something that actually 
moved to the exactly. future very well, like exactly. programming and coding and well, that was partly of this nature. I would say actually that was mostly because of me. Most of the people that worked at Goldman at that time were actors and opera singers and dancers and every, all of that. Whenever there was downtime, they would uh, they were all kind of universally miserable being there because you know for an artist that's not a happy place to be. You right. don't want to be in an office with a low ceiling and not able to move around or do your art. So uh, they would just kind of coagulate together and, and talk about how horrible everything is and how they want to be discovered and whatever. And I thought, you know, I don't want to practice that for eight hours. Mm -hmm. I want to practice what I want, the quality that I want in my work. I want to practice that all the time because I love it so much. I want all the practice I can get. So how can I practice that in this place? So this are you saying that you, you're, you're, you're adopting an attitude of striving for greatness no matter what you're doing? Exactly, right. yes. Because then that becomes a habit. Yes, yeah, yeah and you're, you just like get that. more time practicing. Like everybody wants right. more time practicing, you know, but often we think that that practice has to be in a certain place at a certain time with certain people. Oh, it's a certain But it's goal. actually all the time. It's a mindset. Yeah, and yeah. I, I tell my students in tango, you, you practice tango walking down the street mm -hmm. and on the subway, and you can practice it without even moving. You can lie in bed and practice it. Well, That's a great way to uh, put tango's it Tango is like a negotiation, right? In a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, there's multi-things. So yeah, yeah. learning how to negotiate yourself in high-stress situations is, is very tango. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Actually, tango is just a little microcosm of absolutely everything. So, uh -huh. yeah. so that's <laughs> so then really I cool. So then I taught myself uh, mm -hmm. basic VBA code. I made shortcuts for our department. And um, all the things we did over and over, we, I made it so we could just press a button to do it. Hmm. And um, so everybody you put wanted it. out of a job. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone wanted that thing, so I started giving it to people, but then uh -huh. they didn't know what, how to use it, so I documented it, and I didn't know I was making my own computer development environment because I didn't know what that was. Hmm. But then at some point, a woman named Stephanie Krieger came by during the tech bubble when it burst. She came by for a couple of months, and she said, you should be working in computer development. And I said, no, I don't want to work during the day. Mm -hmm. um, but she kept bugging me, kept offering me jobs, 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 constantly trying to get me to train people, trying to do all this. Finally, um, I it was 35 years old, and I was going through a divorce, and I was really sad, and I had no money. And she said, look, I have a job at Merrill for $80 an hour. You can walk to work, you can wear jeans, and it's only for two months. And I need you to take it. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I ended up staying there for three years and learning everything about computer development. Wow. And that's when I switched to dancing at night doing tango. Okay, so that allowed you to flip the schedule a little bit. Yes, exactly, and, and still enjoy it. And you were... Uh, <laughs> in charge of that department it sounded like no no nope. i was part of a big team oh, of okay. people working on a product that was going live and it was really a lot of pressure and i realized how many similarities there are between that and uh performance environment especially a big company like right. um, opera companies that have a production that starts a year ahead and they have you know 100 people working on the team it's very very similar to computer development because of the the liveness of it because of the yeah, immediacy and the project of management. it right yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's actually, that's when I started to really learn a lot of those project management tools that are so useful for the arts to project manage yourself, you know, mm. like making um, to do uh, spreadsheets to track your progress on certain goals that you have. You know. It sounds very anti-art, but it's I know, actually but it extremely actually important. Very supportive, yeah. 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 No, it's so important yeah. um, to just have, s like the, the romantic idea of an artist is a person who like sleeps all day or, or whatever they do and it just sort of happens but really it's 
It's a well-functioning machine. Yeah, I mean. even people, painters like uh, so John Singer Sargent, who has a very effortless, free-looking um, painting style, he actually labored over it extensively. He would wipe it out and then try it again, to wipe it out, try it again, hmm. uh, to make it look effortless. Right. But it actually wasn't, you know, it was very planned. Yeah. yeah. There's, That's I mean, people like Pollock, Jackson Pollock, of course, he was just throwing paint. Well, I was going to say <laughs> that in a way he also planned, he, he was yeah. flinging paint, but yep. it was very well intentioned. Yeah. Because um, I know people that when I was going, when I was in Cleveland, I used to paint, you know, and like people would see art like that and they'd be like, oh, yeah, anybody could do it. And then they would try it and it was total crap. Totally. And it actually helped me appreciate even more how you could do something so abstract well with seemingly no sort of criteria. Yeah. Uh, it looks like anybody can do it, is my point, but really it's the essence not anybody of the can do es it. the essential criteria of composition and design, mm -hmm. and then you, you strip away everything else, and when you, you're left with just that, that's actually, like, minimalism is very difficult. Yeah. Uh, minimalism in, in, in any kind of industrial design or in any kind of design, that's the hardest thing because there's nothing that you can put a curly cue to hide something, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was curious about, I mean, I, I'd like to talk more about your dance background, but also you, you've been painting for a long time. Yeah. And is that something you were doing also back in college? And yep, I always time? did it. When I was young, I was really shy. So my way, my system of uh, connecting with people was to make a painting or a drawing, go up to them and hand it to them and run away. <laughs> so that was my, my, always my form of therapy painting and drawing and throughout my 20s I was always painting like when I first got here I painted a lot of the homeless and the um, uh, people starving in Ethiopia at that time that was a, a big uh, terrible situation uh, so I would process my feelings about life with these little paintings I did and I was really into children's book illustration at that time so I was taking some I would take like off cla little classes at SVA or School of Visual Arts, um, and I was kind of into the idea of doing children's books for a while. But then I realized that it was really being corporatized, and I wasn't interested in that. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I never. I'm very stubborn. I don't like to get my art mixed up with corporate stuff at all. However, I'm really comfortable working in a large corporation. But I like them to be separate. It's like well, don't let the yeah, food that's, touch. <laughs> that's the difference. I mean, yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah. And did uh, always you did realist work. Things yeah, well, I did a lot of cartooning, actually. Okay. I have a couple of different websites, and one of them is just for illustration stuff, and that's where I put my cartooning. And actually, we just came out with a book that we're going to Oh, yeah, be, I just saw a photo of yeah, that. Yeah, um, Tioma, my boyfriend, and I came out with the, the Apocalypse Alphabet, which is about climate change, and it's my nod to Edward Gorey. I have a very dark sense of humor, so uh -huh. um, we, uh, we made this very dark book, and I did the black and white uh, illustrations for it. What's the website? Um, in case people for my check illustration, it out. well, there's yeah, so there's three. GailMadeira.com is my main one with my paintings. GailMadeiraIllustration.com has a lot of my cartoons and uh, illustrations on it, and then um, theApocalypsealphabet.com is the one for the book. <laughs> I, yeah, I've and made how like long did that project take? Um, the Apocalypse. Alphabet. Oh God, you know, it took so long because that was in my spare time in between mm -hmm. working in computer stuff, dancing, and painting you know, oil paintings, <laughs> then I would do that on my spare time. So it took three years in total. And also we did a lot of trying to get somebody to publish it, but it's a very dark topic, you know, and nobody mm -hmm. wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole. So hmm. we did it ourselves. Ha. Okay. <laughs> cool. We're going to uh, have the ebook version. The PDF will be for free actually, because we really don't want people to use more resources. So we actually don't want people to buy it. 
Okay. <laughs> we want people to just get it and share it, the, uh -huh. the electronic version of it. And if you really, really want to get a, a hardcover version, you can. But <laughs> we'd rather that you just <laughs> look at it. So it's like the Abby Hoffman of like steal this book kind of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, uh, where did you move here from back in the 80s? Oh, Virginia. I grew up on a farm in Virginia outside of D.C. My dad worked as a political scientist, and he was at the Library of Congress. He wrote five volumes about the U.S. government's role in the Vietnam War. And, um, and he was, um, was he just, were the five volumes, uh, were they just neutral, or was there a perspective, was there like a, a bias behind it, or was it just an observation? Of they were commissioned by... Um, by the Library of Congress, so okay. they're neutral, but neutral, they're yeah. extremely detailed. Well, it's hard to be neutral in that, but I mean, yeah. it, it, once he was po pointing out facts, it's kind of yes. like, oh, okay, well, shit. I mean, but very in-depth. So yeah. anything that's been done about the Vietnam War in the last 20 years has used his books as reference. Oh, wow. Because he put it all in one place. You don't have to go to the Lyndon Johnson Library and the Library of Congress and mm -hmm. the Kennedy Library, all these places. You can just go to his books. Wow. So, yeah. That must have been... Uh, uh, life's work kind of a deal. Yes, I'm totally. Yep. Like the Robert Caro books that, that just are all encompassing. Yep, exactly. So he spent a good amount of time on that. Or was yeah. that something he did in his spare time? No, he spent, uh, he taught, he was a professor at George Mason at the same time. Okay. Um, and we had this farm. <laughs> we all do. Was it a functioning farm? It was m sort of functioning. We had um, cows and uh, different points. We had cows and pigs and horses and things like that and we were required the, my brother and I were required to do a lot of work on the farm which is great I think it's great practice for life to uh -huh. do farm work yeah yeah and especially around animals it's great practice for tango I was just talking to someone last night about um, working with horses is a great practice for tango because it's they are so sensitive to energy hmm. and especially the the like when you f when you're first riding in a school they give you a hard-mouthed horse because you have a tendency to try to use the reins just like tango dancers try to use their oh, arms right, right, to right. steer uh -huh. <laughs> and um, they when you graduate to better horses those better horses have a very soft mouth because you're not supposed to use the reins you're supposed to use your intention to make the horse you know to communicate to the horse what you want them to do hmm. so you grew up riding yeah i, I, I rode once in my life like five years ago oh, in, cool. in brooklyn they have that stable yeah and i always saw it in movies and it just seemed like this thing oh yeah just jump on a horse and go and then the moment i got on the horse i was like this is fucking terrifying as hell. <laughs> i mean this is a living there. thing i'm sitting on something else that's moving yes and you don't know what, what it's the gonna fuck? do whoever thought of this this is insane <laughs> not only that but horses can really read your mind yeah. so you i mean it becomes very apparent right away like do i have a chaotic mind or do i have a <laughs> if you have a chaotic mind the horse is going to know and they're going to kind of get jittery yeah you know? <laughs> yeah I, I was uh it was very a, a real experience i think a lot of us learn things through movies and tv and we don't see how like we're kind of desensitized in a lot of ways totally. and then when you actually experience something for real you're like wow this <laughs> is totally different than i imagined yeah it, you know i was thinking about that with the planet the other day um, somehow I didn't realize how close to Korea Japan was. I know that's ridiculous, but I didn't. I just didn't totally get it. So I was using Google Maps, and I was just then I started zooming around all of Asia and like, mm. wow, well this is really close to that. And this is you could practically swim there. You know, I was just in Thailand, and I was like looking at myself where I, you know I was like looking at the map on my phone like yeah. with the blue dot, and I was like, wow, I'm right next to Malaysia, and I'm right next to Laos, and yeah. all these places that normally are so far and seem so far because they are so far yeah I and mean, when you're right smack dab in the middle it was i was like 
kind of regretting that I only went for two weeks, even though I that was all my time allowed for. Yeah. But I was thinking, okay, next time I'm here, I'm going to really take advantage of the proximity because yeah. once you're there, you know, a flight anywhere is an hour and it yeah. doesn't cost much. Yeah. And then yeah. you're there again, you know, and then you're somewhere yeah. else. And it, yeah. it's just unbelievable. Yeah. I've, you know, I've traveled a lot with dance and I realized looking at that map that I've gone almost nowhere. You know, I've seen like maybe five percent of the planet i haven't seen anything in all certain continents like africa you know mm -hmm. i can't imagine crisscrossing africa how long it would take i'm kind of disappointed at, at like our relationship with the middle east because that's always been because of the history because of basically it's like the first place ever you know <laughs> like the, yeah uh i've always had an interest to go there even more than europe and things of that nature but i've spent most of my time in like south america and europe as a woman, I'm a little scared of going to the Middle East. And also, uh, it would mm. make me mad to have to wear a burqa. Yeah. No, but I, I wish things Not were burqa, different. but, you know, to uh, veil or yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, I just wish things were different because I would like to go there and not, like, worry about getting kidnapped or, yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, closest I've been is Turkey, but on the west side, which is mm. completely different from what I hear than the east side because mm. it's a more modern uh, yeah. play part. Um, so working in a, a, a performance group as a dancer you're touring mm -hmm. you're living here in new york yeah and then you're rehearsing to put together a show i'm guessing yep. so you meet every day to rehearse yep and how are, are is the pay shit how's the pay oh yeah the pay, pay was pay horrible shit? yeah it was but horrible. it's enough to like kind of like eat ramen and you know this is the thing in 1990 in the 90s i lived in a uh a, a, a three-bedroom apartment in the west village i had four roommates a couple and a, one other no three roommates yeah three roommates and i paid 375 a month in the west village on waverly and waverly and waverly waverly grove and christopher that weird corner right um so i was fully able to pay all my bills even though i was making 12 dollars to 15 dollars an hour at goldman as a temp um i was able to get by and at that time artists could get by in new york now all the young artists I know coming out of Purchase or other conservatories, they have to move way, way out to like Brighton Beach or, or Coney Island or mm. um, uh, even Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy is becoming too unaffordable for them. Yeah. Uh, so and I mean, I think even more of them are just leaving. Yes. They're just going to cities where yep. they can dance and do what, I mean, the, the, the smaller cities, I think over the past five to eight years, they're booming totally cleveland yep. pittsburgh buffalo detroit you know detroit like yeah these are places that used to be that these are places like new york was one i mean yes. nothing will be new york yeah but yeah. in terms of uh economic sustainability in your art in your artistry you can go there and and you're not gonna like thrive necessarily like you know make millions of dollars but you'll yeah you'll have what you need and i think that, that sense of security is enough i mean i know it is for me definitely i i wouldn't i talk about this sometimes like I wouldn't live in New York right now if I had to work a real job because I feel like the stresses of that lifestyle here yeah. would I don't I'm not that chill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because I've managed to create my lifestyle the way I want it, I, I'm pretty chill. Me too, <laughs> totally. 100%. But I wouldn't be chill if I had to just like if like when I moved here. If you take the train at 9 a.m. with everybody right. else, or yeah. I guess 8:30. Oh yeah. my god, it's such a nightmare. When I moved here and I had to work a normal job to get going, if I had to do that for 15 years, I would. I've been long gone. Yeah, that's know. why people get come here and then leave. That yeah. is, well, that's another thing that's kind of making me, like Facebook kind of makes me, well, sad in general just because of Facebook. But <laughs> like when I go to like invite people to an event and I scroll through the, the, the millions of friends that I have because I'm so famous. <laughs> but like most of them 
don't live here anymore. Yeah. There's so many people that I've met, which is kind of cool too. Yeah. In that sense, like I've met, we've all met so many people and Tango yeah. allows for that as well. But then when you actually like look at their faces on a list and you're like, wow, I, I, none of these people are. And there's like phases of, I don't know if you've noticed this over time. Like there's like phases of time where like these were the six or eight people I hung out with. And oh, now yeah. these are the six or eight people. Yeah. And running milongas, as you know, you, you start to see, well, um, for ours, we're a little different. I, we have a lot of regulars that kind of own their own tables. Mm-hmm. And um, those people change over time. And that's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, certain people will be totally gung-ho. They have their own table. They're there every single Monday. And they're you know collecting their friends at their table. And then over a couple of years, they start to come less and less. And then other, so someone else takes over their table. <laughs> Where do you think is the average lifespan for a tango dancer? in New York? Oh, God, that's a really hard question. Um, well, also because people move and other people come back. Uh, well, I think it would also have to be a percentage, like maybe such and such percentage of dancers uh, stay in it for this long. I would, let's see, how, ma- how, how many people stay in it for many years? I think also the problem, too, is that, not problem, but, but the uh, challenge of that question is that a lot of people in New York have only started in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I was, I, I've been saying to people about the line of dance in particular, it's hard to um, get it to be as nice as it is in some places in Buenos Aires because if you look at the median age or the, the average age of t- tango dancers in Buenos Aires, their average tango age, it's around like 15 to 20 years. Right. A lot of these people, most of the people on the floor have been dancing that long, yeah. the leaders especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it depends on the followers, too, because they're not doing high baleos because they know better because they've been dancing for 15 or 20 years. Well, also, <laughs> so, um, not to, just to add on to your point yeah. about the follower, my ability to navigate is really, especially as I've gotten more uh, uh, tango-aged, old, yeah. it's really based on my follower. Yeah, totally. Because if she knows how to control her axis, it's so much easier for me to maneuver. Exactly. Whereas, like, yeah. a newer dancer, I kind of feel, I'm still controlling it, but it's like, oh, man, I'm getting, like... It's just so much more uh, unstable. Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. So I didn't mean to hijack your point, but. No, yeah, just definitely. To, just it's a very important it. point, yeah. Um, and then the average age, tango age, if you look at a, most dance floors in New York City, I would say is around three to five years. Well, that's what I was going to say. So. I feel like the average dancer is around three to five years. Yeah. Because I think in most, uh, going back to sort of, well, not really going back, but each city has. How do I say this? Like, New York is such a busy place. There's so many things to do. Yeah. And I feel like, let's say you latch on to tango and you realize, okay, in order for me to become competent, it's at least a two to three year commitment. And that's like going, I'm just going to say, and that's going hard. Like, yeah. you got to really dance a lot to, yeah. to hit it. But then after two to three to four years, you've reached this level where you're like, okay, I don't need to do this every day. Yeah. So maybe you don't. So maybe you find another thing. Yeah. And that's why I think in New York, two to three to four years because like in another city where you can only go out once a week or twice a week you're talking okay it's going to take seven years yeah exactly so you're going to put seven maybe you know once you've you once you've decided okay this is something i want to get good at after two or three years you're like well i got to keep going because i've already spent this much time yeah you know yeah yeah. um and they can accelerate it by going to bigger cities and taking workshops or Mm -hmm. going to buenos aires yeah. So, I mean, the, the line of dance in um, the New York City Milonga, I mean, it, it evolves and as our, our general average tango age goes up, it gets better. And as we spread more information, like we put a lot of people uh, share the 
uh, line of dance floor craft um, diagrams that have been made mm -hmm. by different people, and we just added the codes of conduct to the New York Tango page. So um, hopefully we can get that to get better and better. You know. And I think because I've been teaching you, have, you teach tango, right? You teach yeah. at in Sueño yep. and also do you guys ever do like group classes or anything of that nature? We really don't. We just don't have time. Right. Um, I mean, and yeah, we just we just don't really have time yeah. because I, you know, do I still do software testing now at Bloomberg and um, painting a lot. A lot, yeah, a which I wanted amount. to get into as well. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I was going to say just to like wrap up the point about the floor craft is that in my time as a teacher and I would go and I still do we would go to festivals or, or symposiums really and talk to other teachers about why they teach what they teach and yeah and over the years it's evolved everything's evolving in the, and i think in a good way in yeah. tango maybe not yeah. in politics or anything but <laughs> in tango and um I, I felt like a while ago people were just teaching what they felt the students wanted to learn and that's like the most horrible yes it's like giving your kid anything they want because that's what they the want yeah exactly because you want to sell them that you're a good parent totally like, totally and i feel like over time more and more teachers are like no we're going to teach what's important but we're going to make it f fun we're going to yeah. impress upon the student why it matters so then yeah. therefore they're going to appreciate it yes um and you know navigation what? is a big one because even yeah. those cards they're really good to have out there but, but as a leader it. it's Navigation is freaking hard it's at first. So that's hard. why it does take f 10 to 15 years, and that's why the yeah. people in Buenos Aires who are have an older tango age are much more proficient at it because they've just had the, the life experience. Yep, yep. And that and is the And they of often know the person in front and behind them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that you only realize as you get older in your tango years that you uh, choose the person that you dance in front and behind on purpose because you know how they dance, and you'll have a much better experience. And also... It, there's a camaraderie yeah, yeah. like i dance when i dance around people like i uh if i was out the other night if i'm at any longer where i know more people i it's not that i don't dance this way normally but i have i i have more awareness for who's in front and behind me because like they're my friends and i'm yeah giving them the respect and, and mm -hmm. I, again i do that for everybody i try <laughs> but when i'm i just feel like in that situation i'm i'm more amongst family i'm like oh there's so and so behind me and there's so and so in front of me and yep. even if they're a little bit in my space i i give them a little bit more leverage cuz like i know them and maybe yeah. they've had a long night or you know yep. whatever yep <laughs> um but yeah those things are are just uh, it's almost like the last thing that's that's introduced to beginners and things of that nature just cuz it's it's navigation is really hard but at the same time i feel like if it's if it's approached properly it actually makes your life so much easier oh yeah totally because yeah. i had a student eric hageman remember do you know eric from he now he's in buffalo and he's a dentist he's a really sweet guy mm. but i used to teach at hunter and a long time ago i think it was eric he said to me like so you're saying if i just stay on this line and go in a circle that i can uh, he, or he said something like oh you mean if i just stay on this line and go in this direction I'll dance tango properly. And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, that makes it so much easier. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now I know where I need to go. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's actually, ah, that's the fucking point, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I started teaching dance when I was 15 um, back in Virginia in the community center to age two to adult on Saturdays. Mm. And I taught all day, every Saturday. 
Um, and the little kids, you know, they're very funny. They'll, they'll see you do a pirouette or something, and they'll say, I can do that, I can do that, and then they'll do some kind of crazy thing that doesn't look anything like a pirouette. <laughs> and you have to say, okay, okay, that's, that's good, but let's keep working on it, you know? The funny thing about adult beginning tango dancers is that a lot of them are the same way. They'll say, yeah, 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 I can do that, and then they do some facsimile of it. And they'll feel like they really feel 100% like they definitely did that thing. And mm -hmm. that they, they feel in their mind that they look like the people they saw in performance. Mm -hmm. And trying to get them from that point to actually looking more like the person that they saw in the performance, that's the challenge. Because you have to sort of try to get them to focus on the subtle things and more and more and more subtle, unfolding it like origami or, or an onion. And um, try to get them to notice these little things that they're not noticing and like you said, try to make it fun. Like, this is an exploration. We're going on a journey. You're gonna, and in doing this, you'll learn about yourself too. Uh, one thing that teachers, especially in Buenos Aires, do a lot, and I didn't like it at first, but I do now, is usually at the end of classes they would make you demo. Oh yeah, yeah. And I always felt like, yeah. at first, I felt like it wasn't, I don't know, nice or really put people on the spot. Mm. And but as because I trained so much there and did that so after doing it so much, basically, I realized like when you're not hiding in the corner with your partner mm. and you're in front of everybody, yeah. you not only force yourself to really uh, process and, and, and achieve what you want to show, you treat your partner with so much more respect mm. yeah, because yeah. they're there with you're, you're like a team now. Yeah. You know, and, and I went through this growth experience with Chico a lot. Like we would, in the early days we would practice and I would get upset or she would get upset. Generally it was me. And as we were more and more putting ourselves in front of people, I looked much, much more about like, and I think both of us did like, we are here together to make this work for each other. Yeah. So shut the fuck up and quit teaching me on the fucking dance floor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to that point, I really enjoyed hearing from Kim about the um, guys talking to her in our dance class on Mondays. And we started pounding those guys you mm. know like every single monday now we make a speech about it and i'm like look you guys you are losing money you're paying money to take this class if you are using your voice to try to get the person to do what you want you're missing all of that learning like yeah. you're not learning if you do that it's hard <laughs> and, I, and i think i mentioned this with kim like as a teacher it's hard to you're you're balancing so many plates when you're teaching exactly and then to also yep. and i had a student bring that up to me a long time ago and i i appreciated her doing that because she said this guy was just like giving her all this crap and I was yeah. so preoccupied with my mission as a teacher to get this lesson going and whatever yeah. I wasn't paying attention or I saw it happening and I thought maybe it was a, it was an equal dialogue between them I didn't know you know yeah exactly. but really just paying more attention and and if you see it go over and just say something like you know how's everything going and maybe yeah. try to get a vibe for the situation because because yeah, yeah. generally and I, and I did mention this with Kim you're never going to, I believe, you're never going to see a guy lecturing another guy on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. But he will lecture a woman. Or a woman lecturing another woman. That doesn't really happen. No, either. that doesn't. No, they're much more supportive. They're very sweet and they yeah. usually blame themselves. Yeah. yeah. Like I do when I try to lead. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> and the guys, instead of apologizing, which I had to learn over time yeah. to do, would be much more demanding you, you know, know it's interesting thinking about a lot of the guys in Buenos Aires that I've danced with a lot of them are much more oh they're gonna kill me if they hear this they're much more feminine in this way in that they ask the woman often like how do you feel how is my lead do you like my mark I, they'll I ask you that in the milonga I agree you know? because there's this 
stereotype of machoism, which mm -hmm. I agree exists as well, but yeah. it's almost for show. Yes. Yeah. And then there's the real, like, I see a lot more. Okay. I, I and I've spoken to a lot of, because I have a lot of friends from Argentina. There is a role, there is a difference in the, in the sexes there that we don't have here so much, like man and man, women is woman. Yeah. But there's also almost like a satire about it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then at the same time, they just, they kind of come, not everyone, of course, but there's also like a mutual, like, respect for how they need each other so much yeah, yeah and here women have had to fight for their rights so much um in 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 for other reasons and and i don't know i, I just find that um also the it's women interesting. The, it's interesting because the women there often uh, at least externally they they project this power that the w women in new york and the united states often don't like if you look at a milonga when i my very first trip there i was hanging out with some americans who were working down there and, and living in dancing tango and they were taking me around to some uh, to um sunderland practica and you know meeting everybody and learning about the cabaseo and everything and then at one point uh, they said, okay, you're ready to go to a milonga by yourself, and we're going to send you to this milonga, and uh, good luck. And they sent me to Cachirulo on a Saturday night, mm. <laughs> which is like the most traditional, most difficult. So I, I went in there, and they I think they must have called them ahead of time to warn them that I was coming. They put me in a perfect spot, front and center of the women's section. And I was a very mm. eager, you know, American sitting there wide-eyed, mm -hmm. looking around, and like magic, all these people were getting up and dancing, and then sitting down and getting up and dancing and sitting down. I was like, how, how, I mean, I know it's a cabaseo, but I can't even tell that it's happening because mm -hmm. you know, it's so subtle. So after a while of watching the men, I decided to watch the women and I was amazed. I was like, wow, they're like tigers. Yeah. They are so, like their energy reaches out from them like five feet and they take up all this space and they project their energy over to the man. And I thought they're so powerful and, and most American women, uh, you'll see them sort of in, in the um, body language of submission with their uh, feet crossed or their arms crossed or looking down or slouching a little. Um, and I realized that I needed to act like, I just needed to pretend to do what they were doing and try to see if I could get a cabaseo. And so uh, I did. Tomas Hallen, I'm not sure if you know him or have heard yeah, of him, but yeah. he gave a beginner class once at a festival and the whole class was about Cabaseo and Murata. Oh, that's but awesome. It was about how he, because he said, and I, I agree, he's like, look, in, in Buenos Aires, the women run the milongas. Yep. Everywhere else in the world, the men do. Yeah. And it's all because of the women. Yes. He's like, down there, the women won't look at you if you don't want it. If they, they don't come there to dance. Exactly. <laughs> they come there to control the room. Yeah. I mean, exactly. you know, they yeah. come to the dance too, of yeah, course. But yeah. he was like, everywhere else, they want to dance so bad, they just give away all their power i know and that is and he spent like the whole i was i thought it, like a lot of people in the class were beginners who had never danced tango before so they were just like what the fuck yeah i was like this is awesome yeah totally <laughs> this is hilarious That's it's so true great. though like yeah. if you're sitting there like you were at cachirulo wide-eyed and bubbly and like jumping around in your chair i mean a lot of guys are gonna like some guys are gonna be like oh easy target but a but lot of guys are going to be like, yeah. And then they're going to be like, no, I want to go. This woman, I, you know, I there's want a real woman. Right. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and I've been waiting for months for this other lady to look at me. Exactly. I'm still going to wait here. You yes. Know. 
There was one gen there was one like grandfather guy at the door who's a big guy and greeting everyone as they came in. I don't know who it was, probably somebody famous, like I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, um, he kept giving me the most obvious cabaset you could possibly give somebody, like nodding his head and make rolling his eyes and you know. <laughs> and then I would nod and I and then I would dance with him and I didn't know any Spanish very much and so um, he he would do that and then take a couple of tandas off and then he would do it again. And I realized later he was not just dancing with me to help me to dance. He was trying Showing to teach you. me the cabaseo mm. and he was telling all the other men that I can dance, but I don't know the cabaseo. Mm -hmm. And just wait, you know, she's gonna get it. And at, at about like three hours in, I finally figured out, I just decided to smile and nod when someone looked my way and that guy came over and we danced and he's like i was trying to kind of say you all night <laughs> Disculpe, no entiendo el <laughs> i don't know what this is anyway i didn't stop dancing after that in any milonga in buenos aires yeah it's a it's a cabaseo is a funny because you like you described there's uh, it's much more obvious with men they'll like walk right up to you they'll put their hand out and they'll like nod and they think it's cabaseo because they didn't literally speak and you're like dude <laughs> no. that is like <laughs> Basically, you you should have just yelled across the fucking room at that <laughs> yeah, point. I mean, yeah, exactly. um, but there's like a you just tweak it. And there's such a fine line between mm -hmm. just like a wink and a nod. And then this like blubbering, like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And once you have it, I mean, I've capis I've seen it. I've done it. I've shot it like across a ballroom at a festival like yeah. and, people, and the girl yeah. or i would be like wow we've we also felt so cool that we were like i know i know, had that phase whoa. too i was like okay how far can i do a mm -hmm. cabaseo so i would go to the really big rooms in buenos aires and try to do it all the way across the room <laughs> just for the fun of it <laughs> yeah. it's fun but here often you'll have somebody come up to you and say the cabaseo doesn't work i was trying to get you to dance with me all night and inside all <laughs> women are thinking it works perfectly actually <laughs> You don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it was working for me. Yeah, yeah. Until you fucked it up by exactly. walking over here. Yeah. It's like saying, you don't understand how to do the cross. Every time I lead it, you miss it. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're not leading it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, um, God. So yeah, funny. um... Negotiations in high-stress situations. Yeah. It's taken me so long, too, to be able to say no comfortably. And that's what I notice with a lot of women. And this is where tango can be such a great tool of mm. evolution in your life. Because, you know, when you first come, like when I first came into tango, I felt so bad to say no to somebody who walked up and asked me to dance. Um, and then I went through a phase where I would say no with an excuse. And then I realized how horrible that is because then somebody you actually want to dance with comes and you feel like you can't because you mm -hmm. gave an excuse. And, and also you didn't feel good about giving an excuse because it wasn't true. Right. You know? So then I started to just say no thank you with a smile. And I felt really uncomfortable. But I kept doing it. And after, over the years, I started, it just became comfortable, you know, mm. and I, I realized also if, if it is somebody you want to dance with later, you can say, no, thank you, I can't stand this particular tanda, but I'd love to dance something else with you later. Um, I think it's a really, that's a good message to, to put out there as a female as well. Also because that situation is hard for both people. Yeah. Whether it's the guy being told no Nowadays, a woman, like the other night at Tango Cafe, there was a woman here, and I'm the host, so I don't dance with everybody, I can't, but I'll see somebody, and she, it's not like she was sitting a lot, but I was like, oh, she's obviously visiting. I walked across the room and literally asked her with words, but I also felt, well, I'm the host, and this is a more casual place, and she kind of looked at me and laughed and was like, shook her head, <laughs> and I got the impression that she probably thought I was an idiot, 
mm. that I walked over and asked her to dance. Mm. But Adam, 10 years ago, would have been upset maybe or f- offended. And I kind of laughed with her and was like, yeah, it was kind of stupid. I didn't say that out loud, but I just <laughs> laughed and like walked away. And I thought, yeah, I probably made the wrong impression because mm. she obviously was experienced. Mm. But um, being told no, eventually you get desensitized to your ego. Mm. And so it's important to be told no enough that eventually you can just take it. Yeah. And not like, I've seen guys like, and I've heard from women, they'll be like, yeah, this guy came up to me at the end of the night and yelled at me for saying no earlier. And this is also great practice. I know that that sounds horrible and I don't want that man to do that. But from my point of view, it's great practice for you to be able to learn how to confront people. And this is something Mm. that I I feel pretty strongly about. I I want people, um, younger women, to allow this learning to happen and allow this practice to happen um, instead of trying to shut it out and just not be around, quote unquote, those people anymore. Uh, it's, it's practice for you to hone the knife of yourself, hmm. you know, to try to learn how to confront in a kind way and not, um, not uh, and, and, and also uh, standing your ground, how to stand your ground. This is a school and we're practicing these things. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a traumatic thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, uh, well, it, it, it might feel a little traumatic when you start doing mm-hmm. it. But again, that's what practicing is. You're stretching out of what you normally do. If you're only around people who just love you and think you're great and only do what you want, then you'll never really improve in a core way. You know? Yeah, and in a way it sounds like, well, why wouldn't you want to only be around those people? But as you said, I agree. Like You learn about other strengths in yourself. And there's something about having growing an inner confidence that is just so self-nurturing. Totally. And it's the process of becoming a, a woman. You know, when you're in your 20s, I, uh, as all of us felt like, uh, yes, I was definitely a woman. No, I was still half child, half woman, you know. And the process of becoming a woman or a man is learning how to handle these things, how to navigate them, mm-hmm. how to sail. Yeah. You know? And you can't just sail in, in nice seas. Yeah, you have yeah, to go yeah. through the storms, too, in mm-hmm. order to become a really good sailor. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And I agree that you can't sanitize everything. You know, you have to let... Like, this is why, you know... And I'm not, a, I'm not against, necessarily, these the marathons that only allow good dancers or only allow your friends of friends. Because, I, you know, I've been to them, and the level's great, and you have a great time. But you're, there's something missing. Like after the three days of that, I've only gone to a few of those. But after three days, I also feel like I'm missing that random encounter with somebody that I couldn't really connect well with, but I made it through and we ended up having another interesting connection that wasn't always perfect. Yes, Or totally. the ideal perfect. Yeah. And then I go to like festivals like the Philly Festival or, or they're just so much more real. They're much more street. Yeah. It's like some people will go and they're like, well, the level here is not that great. And I'm like, is a shit like this if is you're good people you're, with real experiences if are you're here good to enough talk to you and get to know you like if you're good enough it shouldn't matter yeah right that's i teach to, to try to become so good that you can have your own dance as a follower with whoever you dance with I can't and you can more. have a great dance with a beginner or an intermediate mm-hmm. or anybody and what i love to talk about is a terroir of tango because i feel like if everybody takes the same classes they learn the same thing and they're all looking for this quote-unquote cozy embrace you're missing out on so much if everybody starts to feel the same way. Mm. I want to feel where you came from. I mm. want to feel the earth that you grew up in. You know, I want to feel the difference between bat and 
Tioma, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Russia versus, you know, <laughs> an American, you know, whatever, all these different people I want to feel. Um, I don't, I do not mind at all if the embrace is tighter or looser because I have my access and I have my grounding. Right. So you're not going to knock me over. Um, and I'm going to enjoy feeling whatever it is you're giving me and playing with it like a ball. Like, oh, you're tossing me the ball, I'll toss it back, toss it, you know. Yeah. Um, instead of being like, man, this doesn't feel quite right, <laughs> you know. I mean, I can appreciate if you're less experienced and somebody's holding you in a way that's uncomfortable and you yeah. don't want to be held that way. I get that's totally yeah. fine, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But only seeking out the, the perfect ideal thing. It's where you're pointing. Where are you pointing? What is the direction you're going in? Are you going in the direction of higher and higher quality or are you going in the direction of more and more comfort? Mm -hmm. So the direction of higher and higher quality means that you are honing your own dance, honing it by putting it against the stone so that you're becoming sharper and sharper. And then you're able to dance with anybody. The reason I learned that was because when I was around two years old in tango, I started watching Guillermina and Silvina Valls. And they have their own dance. Mm-hmm. When they, and they dance with people in the milonga. They dance with everybody in the m- milonga. True. They're very giving that way. Mm-hmm. And when you watch them dancing with people, they have their dance no matter who they were dancing with. And that guy always looks like he's having an amazing time, no matter who it is. Mm-hmm. And it might be a guy that you danced with before and you hated it, you know? But they're dancing with him and they both look like they're having the time of their life. And I thought, I want to be that. That's the direction I want to point in. That's, that's like going me. back to the, 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 the partnership of like being there for the other person as well as yourself in a way. Yeah. I was yeah. with Louisa Pice from Popol Louisa for many years ago yeah. and we were in Colorado at a house party and like she's like, you know, just finished working with Popo. She's like a star. She's well established and she's dancing with like every guy in Col- Colorado and the level wasn't great. I mean, it yeah. was. And I grabbed her at one point and I was like, you seem to be really enjoying all this. She's like, I, I can get something out of every dance. Exactly. And I just was like, wow. Exactly. That's, this woman is awesome. The other thing is that this is a dance of transference. And there is something very special that gets transferred from one person to the next without any words at all. And without even our awareness sometimes of that happening. And I feel like, you know, when I first started, like in my second year, I went to Buenos Aires the first time. And there were still a lot of the old guys there. And I immediately realized, I want to dance with all those old guys. That's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I danced with them. And I literally felt a transference to me of... Um, of something, you know, entrega. They call. They kept saying, "Oh, you have entrega. How did you get that? You're not Argentine." And uh, I didn't even know what they were talking about. Over the years, I learned what entrega was, and I realized that that my responsibility then was to take that thing they gave me and give it to other people, mm. so that they can feel this too. Because it doesn't matter which side you're on, follower or leader, you can in, you can waken the entrega in the other person if they're open to it. And, and we should be, that, that's the other direction that I try to point in is to how can we get that connection totally nonverbal, totally not physical either. It's like on an energetic level somehow. Our tendrils go in there and their tendrils go inside of us. I think that's what people who, every time I, because uh, I've been dancing for a long time now, I mean 15 years, it's not that long in tango, but it's long for me yeah. to do one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and anytime I get, kind of lost in or disheartened or bored or whatever I always try to either I'll like go into an orchestra and get really inspired by the music again or I'll just go back to like that moment that you're talking about that I felt it was with it it was probably with 
a 65 year old lady from Cleveland, Ohio, who barely knew how to dance tango. But it was a th it was the first time I ever felt connected in that way to another human, mm. and I knew how special and rare that was, and only attainable through this experience, yeah, tango. Yeah. And I always, whenever I'm maybe frustrated because I'm working at because I do this professionally, whatever. I go back to those moments where I'm like, yes. this is what I really am in it for. Yes. I like, you know, I want to make a living doing it and yeah. I enjoy hosting events and all this and that. All the other thing is great. Yeah. But I never, tr I try never to lose sight of that. If I don't have that, I'll never find it anywhere else. Yeah, that's the heart of it. And yeah. I think a lot of people who are getting into tango, they touch it and they little by little and that that's yeah. what sticks with them and they're like yeah. okay I, and then we go off on our tangents we want to learn all the ganchos we want to lead dance with every guy or we want to do all of these different things but i feel like coming back to that root of like this one connection that i don't think i can find in any other experience and social can, experience and you can go deeper and deeper that's the thing it is also like origami or an onion you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper i mean those old guys uh, I had trippy experiences with him, like as if I was on drugs, seriously. Mm. And it was weird. And I would even question myself, like, am I making this up in my own head or is this actually happening? And I, I mean, I came to the decision that there's something happening here, you know? One guy, he could barely walk. He was so old and um, so frail and he was small. He was my size. And I, so I could wrap my arm all the way around him. And we were, we were dancing and as like many of them, they, he was just doing very simple walking and a few s small steps. But that entrega was so strong that at some point I felt the boundaries between us disappear completely. I felt like my hand was going inside of the back of his chest and cupping his heart, hmm. and his hand was going inside my chest and cupping my heart, and we were walking around the dance floor holding each other's hearts, wow. and each step was so tender because we didn't want to jolt each other's hearts, huh. you know? It was transcendent. It wow. was really trippy. <laughs> and that kind of thing, I had a lot with those guys. And sometimes here I can find it too. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite hobbies is to try to get in there with somebody who's into the steps more than the connection and just see, like, can I, can I get in there, you know, and get them, dis like, can I distract them? Like, look over here instead. <laughs> what about this? What about this instead of that step? How about this feeling? Like a crack in the door. Yeah, I think Open that, it wider, uh, wider. like you said, um, trajectory, is that how you put it? I'm sorry. Or the direction. The yeah. direction. Yeah. You're, I mean, that, that's what's so fascinating about every person, moment, day, song, uh, experience. Like, you can always change that trajectory or that direction you want to go with it. Like yeah. Today, I, this is my direction. Tomorrow, this is my direction. And that's fun. You, and that's really great. It's uh, ever ending. It's also really fun to just dance with people as with no intrigue and just doing crazy steps mm -hmm. and having a fun time. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we have tandas so that we can do that for one tanda yeah. and then not do that anymore. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I, I think it all uh, helps the other. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I had yeah. a student the other day and and she was really into the foundational work that I was teaching her, which I learned from a lot from Marcelo, who I think is brilliant with his teaching of this stuff. And she's like, well, I know my other teachers, all they've been working with me is like moves. And I think I really want to go in this direction. And I said, well, that's great. But however, don't, don't, um, I said like, you know, keep in mind that learning moves actually will help your foundations. Cause you know, let's say you, okay. you know, right now you're working on stability and balance. Well, you can't do a gancho if you don't have stability and balance. Yeah. Um, so as much as maybe you'll never want to do that in the future, 
you know, you can get something from each of these situations that can help you get deeper with where you're going in that totally moment. Totally, make know. it more three-dimensional too. But I also love what you say about the entrega and just, because as a leader and I'm younger still and I started really young, I've, I've had to learn how to mature. Mm. Um, I feel like uh, this is my own personal discovery, but doing less but creating more yeah, is yeah, like yeah. the journey that I've always kind of not realized I've been on. It's interesting because you see it in all the arts. Like in painting, you mm. see um, people become much more simple, simpler and sli simpler as they, they get older mm -hmm. and more advanced until it just becomes very efficient and effortless, right. which I think that is the, that's the other direction to point in, efficiency and effortlessness. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, I started doing Tai Chi, and um, I... Then I decided to experiment. So I put on my tango shoes and I did Tai Chi with my tango shoes on. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Because before that, even though I've done point work for my whole life and I've been a dancer forever, I always had this kind of wobbling in my ankles that a lot of followers have. And I remember when I first started seeing a professional, you know, being in their class, um, they would be so solid and mm. so grounded. And I was kind of wobbling. And that was the first time that I was able to really ground myself. I realized what it means to just let all the energy go th completely through the foot while it's in a high heel, like a four-inch stiletto, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I try to convey that to people. But all of you listeners out there, put on your tango shoes and do Tai Chi. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I use the word efficiency and effortlessness a lot in the way I teach. I try to choose yeah. the words carefully. Um, because I also want my teaching to become more efficient and more effortless. Yes, you know? totally, yeah. So if I'm sitting there for 15 minutes trying to explain yeah. something, I'll, uh, that's not helpful at yes. all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all on a path, and sometimes even if you're just a few steps ahead, you can teach the person that's a few steps behind, but it doesn't mean that you're the guru or you're mm. done or you're at the pinnacle of the mountain. You're just a few steps ahead of your students. Yeah. So I just try to keep that in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like one of the reasons I've been able to continue doing this for as long as I have is because I can't stop learning. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's it not because boring. I can make a living doing it because I would get bored. Yeah. I get bored easily and, and because I call myself a teacher and I have authority. I don't. I try never to even act that way. But it's simply because even now, like I just got into the Michael Lavoca books, you know, and he's the guy who's like the historian who wrote about like Troilo and just now oh, I'm reading yeah. Desarly. Yeah. But just going back through his book with the music that I've already listened to for so long, but from his perspective yeah. or like taking class of Horacio Godoy when he talks about the history or, or anybody for that matter, or even yeah. just dancing itself, yeah, yeah. you're just constantly learning. Yes. And um, yeah, that's, that's just enriching. I think that's what keeps us like young inside and uh, like, you know, I had Norma. I don't know if you know Norma, but I had a woman named Norma Silver yeah, on my show. Yeah, I listened, yeah. And, like, I know people that are 50 who are older than Norma. Yeah. And she's 90. Yep. And she's still learning. Totally. And growing and creating. And exactly. that's why, in a way, I think that some people can continue to thrive for so long. It's pointing towards quality. Mm -hmm. If you're pointing towards a product, then you'll en find endless disappointment. But if you're pointing always toward quality, then you will always seek out the things that enable you to have higher quality. So you'll gravitate toward things like Tai Chi or gyrotonic or things like that that will help improve that. And if, you know, if, you're, if you're really sensitive to it and watching it and saying, does this help on my quest for quality? <laughs> no, okay, I'm not gonna do it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but you, know, you, you can go deeper and deeper. It should be an unfolding process for your whole life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a really great way to put it.
So I guess we were we're almost at an hour. I don't know what your schedule's like. Um, I'm I did flexible. Wanna, I made okay. my life flexible on purpose. Oh, that's good. Me too. <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about your painting because you've yeah. been doing it for so long. And I'm yeah. curious about, I know I see that you're, you're showing work more and more. Yeah, and I'm, I'm getting into museum shows, which is really exciting. This and year how does two. one get into museum shows? Uh, different ways. You, you have to be at a certain level already even to have people notice you to be able to go in that direction. And then you can apply to them. Mm. They have calls for artists. Uh, and then that's a juried process mm. that you have to be juried in. And do you show... Is it... Do you show in galleries or, yep. or do you also show... galleries, Anything like other competitions? I don't know if there's there are, yeah. competitions the right yep. way to put it. Yep, there are yeah. competitions, and some of the competitions end up in shows. Okay. Um, one of the biggest ones ends up in a museum show, and that's one that my work got into last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so this is competition more to get seen, not like competition to be judged necessarily. That's right. Well, also, some of them have really big prize money, mm. so you could actually win prizes. Um and I've had that happen where the, the painting actually was worth more to not sell it because it was making prize money. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> and oh, I don't think I'll sell this one. <laughs> I noticed, like, you just, I think you're working on one right now with an African guy and uh, an older African American guy in the subway. Such a gentleman, yeah, yeah. Did you talk to him about that? Nope. I've done this whole series of subway paintings that are people who have no idea that I painted them. Okay. And I did. Just so everyone knows, I did all the legal research before I started this project because I wanted to do this project, but I wanted to make sure it was legal. And, it, and if you are doing something for the purpose of fine art, everyone in the public domain is, um, uh, can be used by you and your paintings without any you know, issues um, legally. Uh, if you are selling a product, then you can't mm. do that. Like if PepsiCo couldn't take a picture and use it in their ad. I see. Um, but for, if it's for a painting, then you know anybody is is liable to be painted, mm. uh, just as it was. You know, Rembrandt would go around and and draw and paint people that were on the street. Um, it's just that now we have cameras that can assist us. Yeah, yeah. You know, the best thing is when I'm able to make a sketch. Also, when I'm there in front of them. Um, and take a picture, but I also do a lot of work after with the photo because photos are always um, distorted, and so I've been doing this thing called écorché in the last couple of years, which is where you learn to build the human body out of clay. You start with all of the bones and you measure them exactly, and you try to build them exactly the way they are, and then you add the connective tissue, and then you add all the muscles, and you work your way all the way out to the outside. Oh. It's very rigorous and very difficult, and you learn the measurements of the body and how they should be, so you can correct the distortion. So the first thing I do is I, I take that photo, and I make drawings of it, and I start to do all the measurements, and I fix all the distortion in the drawing, then I make a full-fledged, more in-depth drawing, and then I transfer that drawing to the canvas, and then I work from the photo just for the inspiration, and actually not the color either, because the color gets really distorted as well mm. in photos. Even the best photos, they it leaves out a lot of the subtle colors that, that are there, which you would see in person. Mm -hmm. You have to have worked a lot from life in order to work from photos, yeah. so... I've, I've, for many, many years, I've worked from life also. Um, when you say distorted, it stretches it out. Like okay. on a portrait okay. uh, view of I a see. figure, for example, if the figure's taking up the whole portrait view on the camera, mm -hmm. um, the tops and the bottoms will be stretched out. To fit the frame? 
Kind I don't of? know why it stretches it out. Okay. I, I know I, I don't understand the mechanisms of photography perfectly. Uh -huh. I know that there are some people who have tried to make a completely distortionless camera, but it's very difficult for some reason. Oh, I had no idea about that. Yeah, that's interesting. They, and they have, you know, in Photoshop has many different settings for correcting distortion. But I, as an artist and knowing the measurements as I do, I feel that those aren't perfect either. Uh, they distort in slightly other ways. But if you uh, ever get a hold of Photoshop or can take a look at the, um, uh, the lens correction on there, it's kind of interesting. You can put an input the exact camera that you have. And nowadays, it even guesses what camera it is because the camera information is saved in the metadata of mm. each photo. Mm -hmm. So the Photoshop looks at the metadata and it says, oh, you're working on an iPhone 7 Plus. Right. So when you go into that um, setting for changing the lens correction, it already has iPhone 7 Plus in there because it knows. Mm -hmm. And then you could put something else just out of curiosity to change it. Or you could manually shift it this way or that way. But for me, it's better to just do that with my eye. The human brain is still the best computer, mm -hmm. and our eyes are, and brains are really highly uh, developed to be able to do this ourselves if you learn it, if you learn all the measurements well. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> it's actually, yeah, it's a lot hard. You make it harder on yourself to work from photo. But the thing I like about it, especially with people on the subway, is that they don't have, usually they don't have access to their uh, devices as much. You know, they don't have, they can't talk on the phone. Um, a lot of people are just sitting and thinking about their life. Right. And they get into the most amazing positions mm. where their faces are totally relaxed and they're just thinking about, you know, what's going on and, uh, a lot of times with a lot of emotion, you know, that they're yeah. not even aware of. If you told them that you want to take their picture for a painting, they would pose. Well, I, I find, I was thinking about this the other day, but I was on the subway. I think why I was thinking about it is that w uh, when we're on this, when we're, I feel like when I'm surrounded by people, I feel like the most invisible mm -hmm. because nobody's paying that much attention. And even if one person is, there's so many other people I don't really know. If it was just one person staring at me and that was it, I would yeah. definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's like there's 30 people around me, one person happens to be glancing over, I don't feel exposed so yes. much. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I agree. Like w one can be very honest with. Plus, you generally, you just woke. You're not ready to put on a face yet. I mean, you just woke up. You're getting on the subway or maybe it's late or whatever. Or you're going through something. Yep. And you're just your honest self there, and it's like your moment of zen. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And they might just be reading the signs above your head or something, but their face is relaxed, mm -hmm. and that's the that's the point. But it's not. It's also active because when you have a sitter, I've painted a lot from people sitting for me. It gets so static because they're just sitting there without anything going on. You know, what I would like to get to eventually is. Um, to be able to have a sitter but have a conversation with them while I'm painting mm -hmm. and be able to capture the essence of some, one of their expressions um, while painting. That's, that's tough, though. I haven't gotten to that point yet. The other thing is to be able to work f totally from imagination, to be able to see something and then just go home and be able to paint it without you know, with being able to remember all the details and being able to invent them based on reality if you don't have them right there. Yeah, I often look back at paintings from, you know, before we had camera technology and these artists that I think were able to do that. And yes, I'm just they were. astounded. It's they had much better memories. Yeah. Because of their, uh, they were, they just adapted that way differently. They trained it. It's a muscle. You yeah. have to flex it over and, and over. Like I had a teacher once who, and a lot of teachers do this in drawing, they'll have the model pose and you're not allowed to touch the, the drawing paper. You just stare at them for five minutes and then they 
they go away and you have to paint the position they were in. Hmm. It's a way of flexing that muscle. And you can do that yourself at home with a photo. Mm-hmm. You can stare at the photo, put it away, try to draw it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Just really like dance, you have to flex the muscles. They're all Yeah, well, related. the muscle that I, uh, my weakest muscle in dance uh, is, is learning by watching. It's something oh, I've been developing yeah. a lot. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I just, I, f- I just see so much. I don't know if it's because, like, going back to what you're talking about, about more of the essence of it. I, I get, I feel like I'm watching action happen, but I don't understand why or what's inspiring it. But I think if I did, I would understand what I'm watching more, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but at first I just see like four legs moving in different directions and I'm like, well, I don't know. No, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Even to this day, sometimes I'm just like, especially I, Tioma, right? Cause he goes really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like a monster. <laughs> <laughs> he is. The other day he said, you know, I just realized that you know, for you, because you're so small compared to me, it must be like like riding some kind of a you know beast, like a like a, a bucking bronco. I was like, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it's like. Well, you're very graceful at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> this doesn't it's look taken like many that. years of <laughs> a lot of practice. Um, so mm-hmm. you're. Uh, let's talk about you when. And Sueño on Monday was once at the Lafayette Grill. Yeah. Even I'm not clear. I danced all this time, and I'm still confused. And had you always been a part of the organization? No. Okay. Um, it started the year I started dancing tango, and I stayed in beginning class for one full year before I went to a milonga because I felt like that was important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't even go until I started in 2006, and then I went the first time in 2007 to Um And it, at that time, it was Jose and Silvana and Tioma running it. And at a certain point, um, they lost the space because they, they sold it. And so we went looking on this frantic search for another space. We found the Ukrainian. We decided to go there. And then I got more involved right before that, actually. Martin Hernandez came up to me and he said, mm. look, there, um, Jose and Silvana are not able to update the, like, put out the invitations that often. And the, like, people aren't coming to the Milonga. Can you help them out? Because you know I did computer stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to help out. So I started doing the invitations for them. I think they had lost their internet connection or something. And so I started doing that, and I just kept doing it. You know? mm-hmm. And at a certain point, so we moved to um, the Ukrainian. And then uh, at a certain point, Silvana and Jose broke up. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a, li- a little while after that, Silvana left. And they really needed somebody to help them, like with the organization. So I started, and my dream ever since I first went to Buenos Aires was to have a more traditional milonga where we have much more reserved seating. And because I feel very strongly that that is how, that's the best um, support for Cabaseo. Because if you go back to the same seat every single time, then everybody knows where to find you. It's hard enough when you first hear the first few bars to think about, oh, it's Biagi. Who do I want to dance Biagi with? And then try to find them. If you also have to then actually try to find them, then, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that you'll get to dance with that person you want to. In yeah, Biagi. it's interesting because we were talking earlier about creating a culture in a sense, uh, or helping people appreciate certain aspects of the milonga that we don't necessarily utilize in the U.S. or in Europe and wherever. Yeah. And this is one that's totally overlooked a lot, yeah. just like having tables 
for people to sit at. Yeah. I I think there's pros and cons to all these situations. Like, because a lot of people have come, not a lot, but I'd say a few people have commented to me. They're like, well, I don't go to Ensueño because there's never anywhere to sit because the tables are already booked out. They should contact me. Well, uh, you know, that's what I would always say, <laughs> of course, too, because I, 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 like I said, I, I, I see the purpose of what you're doing, yeah. and I can also understand their point. Like, yeah. well, I'll go on Tuesday to the Practica because I can just stand against the wall and everybody is waiting to dance. But then they're losing that. Um, that well, they don't have a seat there either. No, they don't. <laughs> right. No, it's true. <laughs> also, but, if it was a free-for-all, they still wouldn't have a seat. <laughs> yeah, no, you have a point. And I, also what's missing is... Knowing where, you know, okay, this is Darienzo and I want to dance this Darienzo with so-and-so. Are they yeah, sitting at their table? Yeah, you just have a second before the floor yeah. is too crowded to see across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you have to be able to find that person. Um, the other thing is that, you know, some milongas and festivals that I've gone to, everyone will um, just, like, coagulate at a door somewhere, usually around the food. And it's just this pile of people. And even if there are tables all around, they won't go to those tables. They'll all go to collect in one spot, and then they ask each other to dance yeah. because they happen to be standing next to each I, other. Or it happens also like around the DJ booth yes, a lot. Yes, yeah. So what what a uh, reserved table kind of thing does is it creates little satellite planets all around the room, and it makes it much more evenly balanced. So you have the uh, you know this world over here and that world over there, and they visit each other. Feel free to go visit each other, but they create their own... Um, happening, you know, like Mm -hmm. in a way. I remember once I was at Lafayette Grill in the very beginning, and, you know, the Argentines are are very good at being social. Uh, That's part of their their culture, and also the Italians, you know, they're very good at, like, getting together and and not feeling uncomfortable about walking up to people they don't know and just starting talking. Um, A lot of Americans are more uncomfortable with that and feel, like, lonely or these kind of things. I feel like the, the Argentines, they don't let each other be lonely. Same with Italians, you know. They'll just, uh, they, it's just not acceptable <laughs> to be lonely. Well, I just went to a baby shower two days ago, uh, and it was with a Turkish couple. I haven't seen oh, them in Turkish five years. Too, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen them in five years. But they constantly invite me to stuff on Facebook, yeah. and I'm constantly busy. Yeah. And I finally went, and I just saw them, and they were lovely people, of course, that's why I went. But I was like, oh, it's so funny, it's been five years. And we got to talking, and after a while... They were like, in Turkey, we always, this is all we do. We just yeah. love the company of yeah. others, even if it's strangers, even if it's five yeah. years. Like, yeah. we live for socializing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just reminded me of what you're saying, because a lot of cultures do this. And he even, and they even brought up how, like, they've been living in the U.S. for a long time. And New York is not quite the same as the rest of the country. But still, people here... Um, it's just not a part of our culture as much. Yeah. So I was at Lafayette Grill and uh, was in the beginning of my dancing tango. And it's funny, you have these moments where, you know, I'm blithely going along, really enjoying dancing and I'm having a great time. And then at some point, I realized that there are people that get together there and they're having a great party that is uh, not, I mean, it's at the tango and it's a party and they're dancing too, but they're not only dancing, they're having a party. And I had this sudden feeling of like, I'm not in that party. I'm I'm lonely, you know. And I'm looking over. It was a group of Argentines. And then I I told Tioma said, well, why are you sad? And I said, because I'm not in the party. And he's like, well, then you should make your own party. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, why don't you fi- you know find some people and then make a party? And I was like, 
wow, that's a great idea. And so I found Seiko, my, my best friend in Tango Seiko, mm-hmm. and um, Cassandra. The three of us started hanging out all, to, all the time, and then we started gathering more people. Lexo was joining us, and by the time we moved to um, in Sueño and we started having the reserved tables, we were like, which table are we going to pick? Okay, we picked the one next to DJ. And then we became our own little party. And then other tables became their own party. We have the Greek table, they have a party, a Greek party. <laughs> we have the mafia table, they have a mafia party, mm-hmm. you know. CC has her so party. So some people Jack look at these tables and they don't see party, they see what they call cliques. Mm. And it's something yeah. I've, yeah. as somebody growing up in a high school where it was, cliques were gangs. And I'm not saying I had, I had gang violence at my school. What yeah. I mean is that, in, to me, clique means we're here, you're there, don't come near us. Mm, mm. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. grew up maybe with this kind of clickiness that was outsider, yes. made you an outsider. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And not the way you're putting it. Like, these are little parties. Yeah. And because I agree with you, when I started dancing tango in New York, I didn't feel comfortable anywhere. That's why I started my own party. Yeah, tango Cafe. Exactly. Literally a fucking party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chico and I were like, let's just do our own thing. Yeah. Plus, Wednesday didn't have anything. And, you know, multitude yeah. of reasons. But, yeah. but as I got to be more comfortable with myself and, 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 and less afraid to approach other people's parties, I learned that, no, these are all people that are just looking for their own part. Because, yeah, like, for example, exactly. in Nacional, I used to never feel comfortable there oh, wow. until I felt comfortable with myself being there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. I had Juan Pablo on this show recently, and he, t- he said I created my own ghetto. Yeah. Basically saying I created my own party. Exactly. You know, yeah. and so I can understand some people see it as a click. But I see that it's, I, don't, I never really agreed with that. Yeah. I felt that that had more to do with me yeah. putting it in that context. Yep. And so the table thing can have that personification. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, so can the non-table thing, because often I've gone to milongas and there's a, they coagulate all in a giant group and mm-hmm. I'm not in that group. No, I agree. So there's no party for me either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. I just found that, uh, I guess because I've also been in this community for so long, I'll just walk around the room and go to each table. Yeah, and just say exactly. say hi to people. That's Argentine way. <laughs> somebody told me once a while ago, uh, I forgot how it came up, but um, they just said like, I basically pretend, every time I go dancing, I pretend I'm the host. Yes, perfect. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's yeah. interesting because I was, yeah. I've been a host for a very long time, yeah. but I would still go to other cities and I would show up and I would kind of hide in the corner and be mm-hmm. very shy. Mm-hmm. And I would, and the, you project that in the room. Yes. And then they're totally. like, okay, why do I want to talk to this guy? He's yeah. hiding in the corner. Yeah. And then, you know, over the years, I've just adopted this other attitude. I'll walk in and I'll just start saying hi to people. Hey, that's how are you? Great. And if they want to be a dick and not say hi, hey, fuck them. That's their, their thing. Yeah. But most of the time, people are also there to have fun and meet yeah. people. Hello, it's a yeah. fucking party. Yeah. So then the next thing you know, you're like new in the scene and you know everybody or yeah. you at least said hi to him. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> That's right. But it really comes to, down to the self. I used to have a lot of social anxiety and one of the last things that I kind of conquered was a fear of going to restaurants by myself, in particular very hip restaurants in New York City. So I decided to tackle that when I started tango class. So after each tango class and practica, I would pick, like I would think about all the hot places in New York and whatever I thought of that gave me total fear in my heart, that's the one I had to go to. That was my rule. Hmm. So I would go and I would pretend that I was going to be opening my own restaurant and I was taking notes. So I would sit at the bar and I would get out a little notebook and I would actually write like, well, I like their lights, but I think it could be more like this, <laughs> you know, and I would write about the food. And um, the, the, the side benefit of doing that is that everybody in the restaurant the workers they all think that you're writing for a newspaper because you're by yourself <laughs> oh, and you're yeah. writing <laughs> so they'll give you free stuff <laughs> that's interesting 
<laughs> also, also, I'll I add, you're female, and a lot of females don't go out alone. That's right. So in that's fact, another that's another point. Like they're probably seeing like, well, why is there a woman here alone yeah. writing? Oh, yeah. she must work for exactly. You know. and, and at one point, I started to love it so much that I would be with people, and then I would say, oh, on a Saturday night, I would say, oh, sorry, I have to go somewhere for a few hours. I'll see you at the tango later, and I would go out to eat by myself because mm. you can actually enjoy the food more, and you can. Um, really uh, take in the ambiance, you know, and you can get a seat at the best restaurant in New York almost always if you're by yourself <laughs> on a Saturday night at yeah, prime time. That's true. <laughs> and I've had women come up to me and say, I just, I just want to talk to you about why you're here alone. Like, did you decide to do this? I, are you traveling? I said, no, I live here. I, I chose to come and sit here and <laughs> enjoy my food. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really cool. I did that for a while with bars. Oh, cool. Because I never went out to bars for a long time. Tango was my only social outlet. And then there was an old bar. It's closed down recently across the street from my old apartment. And it was like a very, it seemed like a rough bar. It was like old Brooklyn people. A lot of, I would, I mean, I'll just say pretty much like white trash people. (laughs) It was the last in Park Slope. It was called the Carriage House. And, you know, they're like kind of a Donald Trump crowd. They're, They're rough and tough. But... They're actually the sweetest fucking people. Yeah. I went in one night and like, this is going back probably eight or nine years and was watching whatever baseball was on and I grabbed a Budweiser and I was just sitting there and like, I went back like another week later and then finally you go there a couple times enough, people ask, hey, what you, what's your deal? Yeah. <laughs> I ended up getting to know like all, and I've been to hipster bars, I've been to other bars where people come there with their friends, they don't talk. Maybe at, later at night when they're really drunk, they'll chat with you. But, yeah. but I would, this one was like one where anytime I went in after I kind of, frequent in it enough they saw my face enough you just start to chat with like and i just met people from all different walks of life that i would never have like i remember walking by that place a lot and just feeling like oh i could never go in there i would like i don't fit in or but they were all like is probably awkward and um, weird as me in that sense so they all just kind of fit yes you know and that reminds me going back to the conversation earlier about you know the milonga and like the milonga being more of a place for everyone and not just for like the elitist or the best. Exactly. Because I never identified with that. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to start. Yep. Because <laughs> yeah. that's not why I got into it, you know? Yes, so yeah, totally. It's just totally. Yeah. weird like that. Yep. Um, so you have, so Edsuenio moved to the Ukrainian, I don't know, going back, what, six, seven years now? Yeah, I think Maybe so. longer? Yeah, I, I can't keep track. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I had been like to Lafayette that. a few times. But it was sort of off my beaten path because it was done like the low uh, financial area and yeah, all that. Yeah. But I did like the place. Yeah, that was a nice spot. Although I really like it more in the round. Mm. Uh, the, it was more like a stage kind of presentation at Lafayette Grill. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, convinced these guys to do it like that because Anthony Blackwell had Casa de Tango there many years ago for a little while. And he was the first person to put uh, the chairs at the Ukrainian in the round. And when I went there, I would go to his milonga there, and I was like, wow, this is so great. I love this setup. So when we moved there, I was like, guys, we really should try to put it in the round. They're like, no, 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 no. We should do No, really, let's try to put it in the round. <laughs> I, I appreciate that much more, too, because when Fridays were happening and they had the, just one side of the room, yeah. I mean, that, there's something about having, th- not like having, excuse me, having like a hard wall and nothing beyond it. Uh, I don't know. Well, I kind of like having seats around. This brings all. up something I'd love to talk about. I, I mean to you know write about these things on Facebook or make a blog or something, but active watching 
is something that is done in Buenos Aires and it's not done as much in the United States. And I would like people to understand that it's a thing. Um, it, it started to uh, just come to me after a certain amount of years of being in it, but to watch the floor and not, not be dancing, but not be miserable about not dancing, and, um, and to be drawn into the energy of each couple as they pass by you, and also to give them energy at the same time, to actively, it's, it's like you're dancing with them in a way. You're, you're, you're giving them energy, and they're getting energy. They feel it from you as they're dancing by. They feel your energy. And when you have just a blank wall, it's harder to, mm. to have that. Uh, I mean, that's also another enjoyable thing. It's a different thing. But it's really nice to have the energy of people who are not, um, they're n like neutral, but they're it's a supportive thing just to be observing this thing happening. It's not a performance either. Well, I, I agree uh, in the sense that like nobody dances tango alone. Yeah. And nobody wants to be yeah. invisible when they dance. Like people want to be watched. That's yeah, because we're illustrating the music. And we're uh, in a way to an extent exhibitionist like we're dancing <laughs> a, a social of, a dance blur, yeah. <laughs> in front of people sitting there watching us because we get off on that you know i yeah. notice people because i actively watch and i notice yeah. people when they're in the part of the room where there nobody is they're just they kind of flag they kind of like eh. yeah and then the people come around and they're like bam bam bam, 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 yeah. bam, bam, bam and then they go back exactly and like, exactly even if it's not <laughs> consciously being done people are there to show their stuff a little bit yeah you know and, and again, that's part of what's nice about it and again we are instruments in the orchestra mm -hmm. so we are we're a, another instrument in the orchestra and the bystanders who are watching they're hearing this other instrument through their eyes so you're illustrating the the music you're doing these things and it can give so much more color to the music when you're watching what this person decided to do with it, mm -hmm. you know? yeah. especially if they do something great, they're really on that night. Or you like, don't, yeah, like you see something in the music you couldn't hear at first. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you hear something that they're not doing, and you're appreciating maybe the reason they're doing it for no for that reason yeah. or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or you see for the first time someone waking up to the music. You know, before mm -hmm. this they had been a beginner and they're just focusing on stuff. And then you're like, yes, he just took that next step and he's now he's illustrating the music. This mm -hmm. is awesome. Yeah. I find myself all the time uh, at the end of a tanda with a big grin on my face and I didn't think about it, didn't realize, and suddenly I'm looking kind of like an idiot <laughs> at my table. I'm like enjoying it so much well i my first trip to buenos aires w i had a similar experience as you about realizing that people are here just as much to party as to dance Be because prior there. to that i'd been dancing in new york and i'd been really just going to practicas like robins on thursday and uh i forget where else triangulo and going there and being in a, in a proper milonga, I guess is better way, best way to put it, where people were like eating, drinking, socializing at tables, yeah. and observing that a lot of them didn't dance much. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the, the floor was always crowded, but yeah. that was because there was just so many people. Yes. And I just felt so much more relaxed about it when I came home. Because yeah. prior to that, yeah. I was just so anxious to dance, dance, dance all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're, I feel like when you're just dancing all the time, you're really lacking substance because you can't always have something to fucking say. Yes, and you can <laughs> learn a lot from watching other yeah. people. 
Um, also, you know, so you never know. It's life is like a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get when you go to the milonga. You might think, oh, I'm going to have a great night. I'm all ready. I have mm -hmm. a lot of energy. I've been preparing all day. I've been looking forward to it. And you get there and you start dancing. You're like, I feel like I've never danced before in my life. What is wrong with my body? I can't connect. Well, in those moments, that's a perfect time to just shift into social mode mm -hmm. and be like, all right, I'm going to visit with people tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, enjoy the music and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it'll turn around by two hours from now. <laughs> and also having expectations like that can kind of sabotage. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's, I've found not always the case, but my sometimes the memories of my quote unquote best nights were the nights that I went out feeling the worst, feeling like I don't feel like dancing. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to go because I want to socialize a little bit and, and hang out yeah. and then I'll happen to dance and then all of a sudden I'm having a great night and again it's a mi microcosm of our lives and you can learn so much through that if you apply it to your life and say wow okay so I've what I've learned from this is that having expectations isn't <laughs> the, yeah. the best uh, plan uh -huh. <laughs> and I can try to point in that direction yeah for my life mm-hmm <laughs> well I think we'll wrap it up Although we could probably go on for a longer, but yeah. it's been about an hour and a half. This <laughs> is a good amount of time. Um, thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you, Gail. I w you were one of the first people on my list. I don't know if it's on the interview. I, I did two interviews with Lucille. Oh, cool. One of which was like four hours long, so I didn't use oh. that one. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. But we, 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 we talked and we went back and did another one. And I think you were, I don't remember, you were brought up in one or the other oh, about cool. having an, she loves you to death. <laughs> I love her too. And she was just saying how, like, you got to have Gail on the show. You got to have Gail on the show. That's cute. So <laughs> I'm glad we did this. Um, well, I'm honored. Thank you. And, oh, no, I'm, I'm honored you took the time. Um, so I'll, well, thank you. And I look forward, you have Ensueño, you have um, the Apocalyptic, Apocalyptic. <laughs> Apocalypse. Apocalypse alphabet. alphabet coming out. You have gailmadera.com yep. and gailmaderaillustrations.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So places, plenty. Of, oh, and you made a map. Yes. And did you say you didn't know how to use this program before you made the That's map? That's right, yeah. I uh, Well, a little caveat. I worked on CorelDRAW at Goldman, so... Um, I knew a vector-based graphic system already, and that's what Illustrator is, but I had never gotten around to actually learning Illustrator. Mm. I'm also an expert at Photoshop, which is very similar to Illustrator in the, in the um, menus, the options. So I had a big leg up. Okay. However, I had never learned it. So I decided to use this project to teach myself. I love to do that because it gives me a goal, a concrete goal. So. Oh, and I, well, I'll tell you, um, on Sunday I was at Destino, and, and Stratos was there. And he had no idea you put Los Peores on. He told on. me about Oh, he did. Yeah, he reached out because he was, I thought he was, he was so honored. He was, he looked well, like he was about to cry. You he know, I'm, I'm all about egalitarianism and volunteerism is very, very important to me. So that's why I do the calendar. And I really wanted the map to have everything that's on the calendar. And I felt like I'm the person who knows all the things that are on the calendar. So I put on Pedro Girardes. He, mm -hmm. he does. Um, Barbes. Barbes and also Terraza 7 okay. once a month in Queens. So I mean, I'm excited to learn about all this stuff, Well, too. that's the cool thing. You know, we, I made it because I, I remember going to Buenos Aires and having their map and when I first got there and being like, this is so awesome, we need one in New York. And it took me this long to get around to doing it. 
But um, also, uh, I thought it would be mainly for the beginners and for visitors. But when I started showing regulars the map, I was amazed because <laughs> everyone looked at it and they're like, I didn't know that yeah. this existed. What is this And over it's here? all there online. Yeah. You know, but it's just it's having it in the visual format exactly. is completely different. I would have done it years ago if I'd known the impact. <laughs> we all were talking. Chico and I were, because she does, you know, uh, design work. And oh, cool. she and I were talking about it and. I've heard a lot of people bring up, we need a map, we need a map, and yeah. it just we needed a, some catalyst to get the ball rolling. Yep. <laughs> so thank you. And the website she's talking about is newyorktango.com. Yeah. So, which I wish I, I generally forget to send you my updates about what to put on there. But And sometimes I see them float by and I add them. Sometimes I go look for them if I have time and um, I'm procrastinating. I procrastinate doing other things by looking up people's events and adding them to the calendar. <laughs> 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 it's called productive procrastination, and I'm an expert at that. Actually. Well, I know a lot of people still use it as a reference. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. a lot of people still ask me, like, is there a website for New York Tango? I'm like, you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> just add .com at the end of that. I mean, Google New York Tango. I wonder what will happen. <laughs> Seriously, people, like, reach out. That's like, hilarious. You don't know what Google is? <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Gail. Yeah. And thank you. Uh, have a great day. You too. <laughs> Wow. What an amazing person. I uh, I learned a lot with Gail, sitting and talking with Gail and hearing her stories and her perspective. And I I hope you all do too and, and appreciate her journey. Uh, check her out on Mondays at Ensueño. She's, as she said, she's sitting next to the table by the DJ, just to the right with her little group of friends. And they are not a clique. They are a party. And if you go over and say hi you're going to party because that's uh, that's the way we roll here. Um, let's try to party more. Come to Cleveland and party with us. Um, I also like what Gail had to say about sharpening her tango skills, her tango knife, and learning how to be more responsible for herself in order to give back more. And um, Just a lot of valuable lessons here. Uh, so I hope you enjoy. I am... Gonna skedaddle. I have another interview today, which we will come out, which will come out next Tuesday, and you'll have to wait and find out with whom it's it is. Uh, also, this weekend while I'm in Cleveland, I decided to take the studio on the road, so I'm gonna be doing some short interviews, and it'll be the Cleveland episode. I'm excited. I'll be interviewing people from all over the country and the world, depending on who's there, and um, you'll have to stay tuned for that one as well. So. Uh, have a great week. Hope you're enjoying the the time here on this planet. And um, be well, everybody. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Tango Uncorked.